Hey everybody, I'm excited to finally have Eric here. He is the VP of Marketing at AppQs. Uh, we, we connected back in SaaS Nord in, it feels like a lifetime in October. And he's a leader in PLG. Uh, AppQs pretty much latched itself onto PLG. So we're going to be talking all about product-led growth and, and high-level stuff about that. How's it going, Eric? How is Boston this afternoon? It's uh, it's going really well. This is the first day where it's um, you know sub eighty degrees in yeah. a while, which, uh, given the greenhouse like room that I have to sit in every day, is quite quite refreshing. But yeah, you know, family's healthy. Cool. My wife and I have jobs. You know, so very feeling very fortunate. Hard to want anything more in this situation. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's you know you feel blessed. And yeah. one of the things that must be amazing in Boston around this time, especially when fall hits, is hiking. And I just love asking people about things that is not related to product like growth or marketing. You said that you love hiking. That's your, one of your favorite hobbies. I'm curious, what is your favorite hike so far that people need to travel to to try to try out? Yeah. Well. You know, like anything, I get. I'm a big music guy, so you've got like you've got the hits, and then you've got the deep cuts. So, you know, as as somebody who really loves hiking, I'm I'm inclined to go for a deep cut. But but I'd say like something that's really accessible to folks in New England, at least, because I do most of my hiking. To be clear, I do most of it in New Hampshire. Uh, mm-hmm. The White Mountains is just an awesome, awesome place. Uh, less than two hours from where I live, uh, north of Boston. So uh, the best hike. The most accessible and best hike that I've done is this Lafayette, uh, Mount Lafayette, Lincoln, and Haystack. There's this loop. It's about eight miles. And for two to three miles of it, you're walking along this ridge line. It's you know, 4,000 to 5,000 feet of elevation. And you can just see... Yeah, you're hiking for two miles and you can see 360 degrees around you. Wow. Uh, so it's just, just amazing. But yeah, hiking is uh, it's my number That's one cool. activity. That's sure. cool. What was it? you said Lafayette Trail? What is the exact trail? Like what is that? Yeah, exact uh, Franconia Ridge Trail, I believe, is the name of it. Okay, I yep. gotta go try it out. Yeah, I'll check it out, man. It's intense, but uh, but you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, you see, I've pulled up there, and there, there are buses <coughs> full of tourists attempting this hike. So you know, they fail. Just just go for it and push yourself, and you'll have an amazing experience. It's funny, my wife Joanna, when we went on our honeymoon to Hawaii in two years ago. We went to uh, this hike, Diamond Crater hike. It wasn't even that bad, but we were both dying, man. Like, we need to do. Do you need to like be fit to to do this hike? It's a, heck of, it's a heck of a lot easier. I mean, I started I started hiking when I was definitively not fit, uh, way back when. And you know, you if you have the mental endurance, you can you can yeah. push through it. Uh, but I'm in a lot better shape now, and hiking is definitely a heck of a lot easier. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. Just random question. You say you're into music. Do you play an instrument? Yeah, I mean, uh, I play guitar like like cool. everybody else in the world. Uh, <laughs> not super interesting, but yeah, I was in. You know, I, I went actually went to school for music industry. All right, I saw that through. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was my my thing. I somehow convinced my parents that was a good idea. Right at the t- same time that um, <laughs> Napster came out of Northeastern, I was entering Northeastern to study yeah. music industry. So yeah, throughout my time there. The whole the whole industry got flipped on its head. So, but I don't know. I learned a lot about marketing and business. And, yeah, uh, you know, got to talk about music every day. So, yeah, and now you're VP of marketing. <laughs> that yeah, worked out. Yeah. 
somehow, you know, it's hard to, uh, it's a lot easier in retrospect to draw the, draw the connections. But yeah, life, life takes you in, in strange, down strange paths and you just kind of go with the flow. So I want to talk about that, the strange path. You know, we, the strange path to product led growth. And, you know, AppQs has really embraced product led growth and idea. And it's, I don't know, you said it was, it's really big in Boston, but I, would, I had a workshop here. We were just talking about it in Toronto. And I asked how many of you people know the idea, uh, product-led growth strategy and maybe 20, 30% knew about it. This was last November, which is I'm like, what's happening here? But I'm really curious, first of all, for you yourself, when was the first time you heard the term product-led growth and you know, was there anything special when that happened? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I've been exposed to it for so long. I think back to, uh, you know, even some of my earlier jobs in uh, the mid 2000s we were doing product let right like we had a free experience we we had a largely self-service customer base where the product experience was the driver of the user experience as a whole and monetization and all that but i never really had a term for it until this came you know product led growth kind of started getting popular when it really crystallized for me was right when i joined appcuse so this was january 2019 about a year and a half ago you know, OpenView is, you know, I guess, I think they're the ones credited with kind of coining the term, right? Uh, they're in Boston. HubSpot talks about it. I can't remember how aggressively they were talking about it then, but yeah, it, was a, it was a term being tossed around. And then our customers were talking about it. Not a ton of them, but some of them were talking about it. And I, I spent, you know, the first one to two months of, of my time at AppKeys talking to customers uh, as much as I could. So hearing all this come together, also realizing that while it was kind of a... I'd say not a super well-known term, right? Maybe in like certain parts of the industry, but there was definitely momentum. Like I was looking at search mm. trends, et cetera. And yeah, I just thought it was like, all right, we were known for product onboarding, a solution to make product onboarding simple and effective. Uh, but there were so many other ways that our customers were using our tool uh, to create more self-service, compelling you know, product experiences that drove revenue, that drove sales meetings, that drove CS and support interactions all in the product itself. And I thought product-led growth was a really nice kind of term to encapsulate a lot of the different use cases that our customers had for our product. Mm. So yeah, that's when we decided to really lean into it. Yeah, it comes to mind, you know, this term, you, you talked about it, OpenView coined it, and then Housewives started talking about it. And I feel like it's just like peak, like starting to hit that SaaS mainstream, so to speak. Why do you think it's become so, like, gained so much traction in the last, even in the last few months? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think, you know, the concept has really, you know, there, there are some champions for it now, right? So mm. we're one of many. Uh, yeah. You, you, you and Wes over at, at Proclet Institute, right? Uh, OpenView is continuing to double down on it. You've got all sorts of companies that are really honed in on that free trial, high volume, high transaction type model that are thinking about this now. So like I said, first and foremost, it's got some strong champions at this point, right? It's not just one, one and a half, two uh, folks talking about it. It's, there's a real group. And then the other part is the, you know, the market dynamics. Like people, mm. you know, we've seen this coming for a long time, but people's expectations for consumer products, the, the products they use in their personal lives, 
all of those expectations are bleeding into business to business software, right? Mm. Your people have been talking for a while about how when you're selling to a, a professional, you're still selling to a person and that person's you know, preferences and desires need to be met, whether it's in their personal life or their business life. So you know, when you think about your experiences with God, cliche Amazon, right? Like, rarely have I talked to anybody. It's super personalized. You know, everything is just low touch, no touch, mm. super easy to use. And, you know, so many other consumer products. I'll just stop there. But those expectations that now I have because of my experiences with consumer products, I have those for business products, right? And so if a business product requires that I submit a form and wait two days to hear back from a BDR that's then going to ask me some qualifying questions before mm. I can talk to somebody four days later. Like the instant gratification point is huge too, right? Mm. Like I don't want to wait a week. If I have to wait a week to get into your product or to talk to somebody about your product, I'm probably just going to forget about it. Yeah. And it, it's just that is undeniable. That is undeniable. And, and if you don't respond to that as a business, you're going to be left behind. I love that example with Amazon. Yeah, people do expect things to be easy nowadays, like to be seamless and to be intuitive. You know, things like Spotify and Netflix and Uber and all these apps that kind of focus on that. One of the big questions I get about product-led growth is first time they hear product-led growth, they say, hey, that's just freemium, dude, or that's just adding a free trial to your existing business. Is that statement correct when people say that? or you know, is it something that is a bit of a misconception that needs to, you need to fix that, that uh, approach? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is the most tangible, mm. uh, easy to identify marker of a product-led business, right? But no, I don't think it's just about that. We had a lot of discussions about this early on. If we're going to start talking mm. about product-led growth, what is our perspective on it, right? Is it a black and white thing, on or off, you're product-led or you're not? Or is it a spectrum where you can become more product-led and do things in a more product-led way. You know, we as a business, and I very personally feel very strongly about this, is that it is a spectrum. Uh, there are things that whether or not you have a trial, whether or not you have a high volume of users and a, a very transactional sales process, a purchasing process, you can do things in a more product-led way. Mm. As somebody who's using your product, whether they're an enterprise business or at a VSP or, or whatever, do they really want to, let's say, submit a support ticket and wait for a response? Or would they prefer to have you know, in-app guidance and mm. ways that they can self-serve and, and find their own solutions? Absolutely, 100%, undeniably be. Maybe not everybody, but the, the majority of people, right? And again, tying it back to those consumer experiences. As a business, can you use your, you know, the way that people are using your product, the behavior of your users to identify expansion opportunities, um, mm. upsell opportunities in your product, can you bake in, you know, if you have multiple tiers of, of product access, when you, I think even just like, all right, let's assume you have two tiers, A and B, uh, B has access to more features. People who are using tier A, I think if you take a product-led approach, you should be exposing the features, tier A users, in a way that they can understand that those other mm. features exist. And you, it's like marketing inside of the product. And it's basically creating more of a product-led marketing approach, right? a customer marketing approach. So yeah, I, I think there are so many ways that you can be product-led without having a trial. Now, are you a master product-led company without a trial or freemium uh, model? I don't know. Probably not. That's probably the 
you know, the ultimate realization of product led. But yeah, certainly it's a spectrum in my opinion. I love that idea of spectrum. I'm gonna respond to questions like with that with that Take concept it, now. Let's go. We're all on the same team here. An example I get all the time is and this is something that the CEO of, of Superhuman said that they're very product led, but you know, trying to get into Superhuman, you'd have to apply and then you have to talk to a customer success. Using that spectrum model, you know, that beginning piece might not be product led, but once you're in, they do have portions of product led approach. Is that something you would agree to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's largely a self service product, right? It's just, mm. um, you're kind of talking about the um, invite only type. Yeah, the invite only type. Yeah, it's exclusivity. Doing... I mean, that's just that's yeah. marketing, right? <laughs> like they they are artificially. I mean, I don't know what the technical constraints of their business are, but I imagine right. they were creating artificial exclusivity right. to generate buzz and demand for their product, and that's just a go to market decision they made. Uh, instead of offering, you know, making it available to anybody to try, because that would have been the opposite of exclusive. So that that's a go to market decision. Mm. And that may change in the future. We'll see. The other question I get a lot, and you probably get anybody who is in the product led growth space might probably get this a lot is freemium or free trial. <laughs> and mm. you know, probably it depends on several factors. There are people who have strong opinions on this. You know, Hit and Shaw is a big proponent of freemium. Other folks like I talked to Jane Portman from Userlist, where they're a big proponent of free trial where they actually don't have a free free account. So what, what are your thoughts on you know what things you need to be looking at to decide whether freemium or free trial is what's right for your business? Yeah. So I'm going to start off right off the bat by hedging and saying it totally depends. <laughs> you know, it, it does. It just does. It does. It's, it's, uh, depends on your business goals, the, the type of solution you're offering. You know, freemium is great mm. for creating a massive user base. Like if your objective is to create a very large user base very quickly and then figure out ways to monetize it later, freemium can be a great option. Uh, it's not just for that strategy, but like that's an example of when freemium would make, make a ton of sense. I think free trial, like we have a free trial. We have a kind of a strange hybrid of time-based and usage-based. It's kind of like which whatever comes first. Our idea is we want to get people to the moment where they realize value and that they can at the same time also kind of technically vet our product because you do have to install it inside your own UI, right? So there's a little bit of is an installation process uh, that many of our customers do self-serve, but others want some hand-holding. But we wanted to give people an opportunity to try the product, uh, realize its value, and make sure it's a good fit for them before they make a purchasing decision. And that's why we went with the trial. So it's more like part of a self-service sales process than it is a, an acquisition strategy of you know, massive user bases. I got to give it up to AppQs. I actually use AppQs for one of the companies that I work with. When I signed up, I thought it would be time-based, like 14 days, but setting it up took a little bit longer than I expected. But it is usage-based where you know, it's like after, I forget how many sessions, and then that's when the, the trial ends. Yeah. How did your team, well, was it always there, first of all? And second, if it wasn't, like, how did your team decide, let's go for usage versus like a typical you know, 14 or 30 or 7-day time-based trial? Yeah, well, I would be making up some information if I tried to give you the extended history here, but I will give you the uh, the brief history, which is it's for the most part it's been like this for a while now, uh, at least a couple of years. Uh, we've tweaked little bits and pieces, like how many 
so just to elaborate on what you said, so it's clear for anybody who's listening, you can publish content and show it, and mm. we limit the number of times you can show it. And the reason why we wanted to give users the ability to show the content is so that they could, again, validate that you know it works and mm. and actually uh, get a little bit of value before you have to pay. And that was really important to us. So when we looked at you know the usage of our product that correlated with people actually purchasing the people that did build and publish content in a trial and exposed it to either some folks internally or or to a, a small uh, portion of their user bases were more likely to buy you know they had a better experience with the product they felt more confident in their understanding of how it worked mm-hmm. and how it will work for them and so we prioritized getting users to that point versus putting some artificial timeline on yeah. it. And we haven't experienced... I don't think we've experimented with a purely time-based trial in, in quite some time. Mm. Yeah, it's... I mean, I wouldn't discourage anybody from experimenting either. It's good to, mm. good to try. If you could you know, drop uh, you know, 50% of users into one version, mm. 50 into another, see what happens with, um, with revenues then. I don't know. It's interesting. But yeah, that's, that's why we made the decision we did. The reason why I pointed out is very few SaaS, and I might have tried several SaaS products just because that's what, you know, growth and marketing does. You know, we need yeah. different SaaS products. Yeah. I was really pleasantly surprised in a good way when I signed up for AppKeys for the first time that was last year. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, there's no time pressure on me to, like, oh my goodness, I got to get this up or else in 14 days I am screwed or, I, you know, in 14 days I'm done. I need to contact them back again. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, we've had conversations about it, right? There's, it doesn't, mm. you know, for a salesperson, we have a sales assisted model, right? Mm. So our sales team is very, um, you would be more accurate by categorizing them as, as like consultants and mm. really helpful uh, kind of support agents almost. They're just like super knowledgeable about the product. They rarely ever, if at all, hard sell on anybody. Yeah, you don't you like create artificial timelines. They're they're there to be helpful, and our our philosophy is if we create a great product and we have a team that's very helpful in people being successful with the product, then they will buy. Right, and so that we have we have people who purchase our product without talking to anybody. We also have mm. people who who purchase the product uh, by talking to sales, and yeah, again, like. Our sales team has said, hey, if we had a 14-day trial, it might create some more urgency in the sales process. Yeah. But we've just, again, continued to prioritize that experience of the user and making sure that they get to the place that they want to be mm. before we have a sales conversation. I want to bring that up. When I signed up, and I'm sounding like an AppQs fanboy here, but I had such a great experience. I had problems with AppQs when I was trying to install it. Then a pop-up message appeared. It's like, do you need help with something? And I said, yeah, I booked a call. It wasn't very hard sales, consultative. They couldn't get it solved. So they actually brought me in a call with somebody from engineering or tech or something like that, where now I'm talking on the phone with, over Zoom with with somebody from tech. I'm curious for you, it seems like it's very, that experience is very seamless when somebody intervenes. But for other companies, what would be your advice to when should sales intervene into this whole free trial or freemium experience? Should they be more really like hands off or should they intervene a little bit sooner? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, I can talk a little bit about how we did that, why we yeah. did it that way. But um, first and foremost, I just say that, you know, if you're going to have salespeople intervene with a person in a trial, 
you know, there's nothing. I mean, from my own personal experience, I think this is the interesting thing about product play is we can we can talk about our own personal experiences, especially being in marketing where heavy technology users and all that. If I start a trial of something and then a salesperson reaches out and starts to hard sell me, I get turned off immediately, right? Same. So I think first and foremost, the most important thing is to figure out your sales philosophy. What is the role of your sales team? Are they there to are they there to like you know, close, sell hard and close as much business as possible? Or are they, you know, given the latitude to, to be helpful and you create a great experience for folks uh, with the understanding that if people have a great experience, they're more likely to buy your product. So first and foremost, that's my number one advice if you're going to have salespeople intervene with the trialer. The conversation we had earlier this year, I'm not sure like what, what timeline you're talking about, but earlier this year, we talked about you, at some point, you do have to install AppQs. It can be yeah. very basic, just putting a line of code in your product, or you can do a more sophisticated implementation, which you know, really unlocks a lot more power. But what we found was when we, were, when we were using our product and our product onboarding to drive people to install very quickly, the quality mm. of the installations was lower. And you know, people would get a little frustrated because they'd have to go back and, and like kind of rethink the way they did it. So we actually decided to insert a little bit of friction at that point and to say, it, it's not a lot, but, but to say like, once you get to the point where you're installing, you have the option to talk to somebody who can help you, like an implementation specialist, right? which at times has been our sales team, given how knowledgeable they are about the product and how consultative their approach is, but also has been support specialists as well. Or you can read our docs and do it yourself. And you have the option, but at that point, we, we thought it would be helpful both for our sales team as well as for our prospects to have a little bit of friction there where maybe that's when we start a conversation about what are you trying to do here? And based on that, let's work together to make sure that when you go and implement this thing, it's going to set you up for success long-term. Really fascinating. And did you find that really improved in salsa that you were talking about this experiment? Yeah, I don't, I don't have data off the top of my head, but yes, but certainly, it certainly it has, yeah. That sounds counterintuitive because I hear this all the time, like remove friction, remove friction, remove friction. And then I've heard it from you. I've also heard it from the head of growth at Wave where they added a little bit of friction and actually improve their onboarding or their trial or the experience of the users. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? The people who just say, just get rid of anything that is too much friction. I used to say that a lot. <laughs> and, then <I> realized, <laughs> and then I realized that it's an oversimplification yeah, uh, just to say that, say that so bluntly. You know, we do try to make it. We know that our activation moment is when somebody builds and publishes content. You do not mm. need to install to do that. Well, to publish it on your own site in live production, you do, but to to get the experience of doing it and kind of see it for yourself, you don't. So we reduce as much friction as possible getting into that point, right? So our initial experience in the product is let's show you what it can do. Mm. Now let's go show you how to do it yourself. And then once you've done it, then. That's your activation moment. You're saying, oh, this is, wow, I can do this. This is amazing. Aha moment, right? And then you know, the next step is installation. So we've gotten you to that point where you understand what this can do for you, understand the value, ideally, right? Hopefully that's what, what people are feeling. And now that you feel that, you probably have a little bit more motivation to go through that small hurdle that's, that's in your way, which is, is the installation. Um, and that's where we decided to introduce the friction because ultimately it's it sets everybody up for success. Really fascinating. Yeah, that's really, really interesting information. I want to shift gears and talk about enterprise companies. I mean, there's been, you know, people look at HubSpot as the classic company that made that shift from 
the classic sales led approach or marketing led. I'm not even sure anymore where it's very expensive. You have to go through a salesperson to make a purchase uh, in this annual contract. And now they're very product led where they do have a free version of the product and then sales team reach out. Another question I get a lot from people, I want to get your ideas on this, is should every enterprise, and is this generalizing, right? Should every enterprise look at product-led growth, even if they're just aware of that movement happening? Yes, 100%. Is it right for every enterprise business? No. Is it right right now? Definitely not. But yes, absolutely, it should be on your radar. Enterprise businesses are adopting this model. Mm with urgency, largely because there are, you know, upcoming upstart competitors that are doing this. And again, going back to that buyer preference, people don't want to talk to sales. They don't want to go through hurdles to try your product. They they just want to experience it themselves. And so if, if you if you're an enterprise, you've got some runway here, right? You've got you probably got a suite of products. It's really hard to shift from one uh, vendor to another because you've locked in at this large enterprise contract. You've got some runway enterprise companies, but guarantee you there are competitors that are coming up. They, they mm. maybe seem small right now, but the folks that are doing this right, they're creating really compelling self-service experiences where the users are empowered to touch and feel the product and and make recommendations to their you know higher ups. Like that is the future. I, I have no doubt about it. And um, you know we've seen it with IBM. IBM's making a, a huge investment in free products right now. Interesting. And uh, you know that's a company that's hundred plus years old. You can't think of a more enterprise company than that, right? And they're doing it because they know they're a very forward-thinking enterprise company, and they know that this is the future. And they're they're getting their uh, they're getting their their hands dirty now with it. So yes, it should absolutely be on every business's radar. Uh, but I'd just caveat that by saying. Don't make the mistake of just, you know, taking a product that's built for, you know, high touch, white glove type service, and and you know, pop a free trial onto it because right. the downside of that is now you're exposing this poor product experience to a yeah. lot more people, and that can have pretty negative effects for your brand. Right. So, what would you advise companies? And, and once again, I really think this depends on the company. But what would be your approach? So, say, large enterprise company, they're looking to try out product led free trial. What should they do? I guess from talking to folks in these situations, the biggest hurdle is actually politics. So mm, you've got a lot of these companies have massive sales organizations that yeah. run in a very traditional way for a very long time. And when you bring up the idea of a free product or a free trial to these salespeople, they freak out. <laughs> they do. And yeah, uh, they do. I'll tell you what, do you know who has some of the most political influence in these organizations? It's the sales organizations. They're the ones bringing in the dollars, right? Like yeah. Whether it's not, we all know it's not just sales, great products, et cetera. But, but yeah, it's largely a political hurdle. So I, I'd say the number one thing you should start doing is having open-minded conversations, starting to generate some awareness of this model, why it's important, et cetera. Yeah. That's, that's where you should start if it's brand new for your business. I love it. I didn't really think about that. You're, yeah, you do have to have the conversation with the sales team. Again, you have to approach it to them that this is actually going to help you out because now your leads will be probably a lot higher because they're not. You don't have to explain exactly what your product is. So hopefully, you know yeah. they've already tried out a little bit, and now you know that you can have a better conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sales is changing too. Just in general, sales mm. as a profession, I think it's. Uh, 
the qualities that made a, a salesperson great 10 years ago, I don't believe are the same qualities that make a salesperson great today. Mm. Yeah, I've been primarily in startups and SaaS companies, so it totally depends on the industry. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, it's just something you have to start preparing for now. And it, it can be very, very beneficial to the right type of salesperson. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You said something earlier that I'm curious about. You said the product-led growth approach wouldn't work for all enterprise. Can you think of like enterprise companies or types of businesses that might not really work as well for product-led growth? I'm thinking something that's maybe disruptive or something that's very new. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I'm even thinking about like insurance as an industry, <laughs> right? Like whether it's car insurance yeah. or health insurance, et cetera. That industry is it's already being disrupted, but it is ripe for disruption. There's so mm. much overhead and yeah. there's so much manual effort involved in those businesses that can be automated. You're seeing startup companies that are offering, you know, SaaS versions of of what these huge legacy insurance companies have done for you know hundred years. And they're, you know, very, very quickly eating into into the profits of those companies. Mm. Is that kind of what you were where you're headed? Like I think that's a good yeah. example of an industry where there it's just ripe for disruption and that this model, the SaaS product led model is is going to be what disrupts it. Yeah, I know that totally makes sense. And yeah, there are even industries that you don't expect product led, like product led growth would work. You can apply portions of it, right? You can apply like you, you talked about the spectrum to their business model and how they approach their go-to-market strategy. Yeah. Think about my own healthcare experience, especially mm. during COVID, which has sped mm. up all of this digital transformation, right? My healthcare experience over the last six months, and I think this is going to continue because it's just so much more efficient across the board for everybody. Yeah. You know, I can set up an appointment in the middle of the day. I don't have to commute to the hospital and walk yeah. off three hours from work. I can just have a half-hour appointment, right? I'm managing all of my appointments and all of my test results and everything in an online portal. I don't have to talk to anybody. I just send a message to you know my doctor and he responds on there. And then I book my appointment and then I click a link and it brings me to a Zoom meeting and I have this meeting with my doctor. I mean, just think about how disruptive that is for the whole industry. Yeah. I mean, it's been COVID more than technology. The technology has been enabling it. But yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about all the possibilities. My hospital is not like that. That's interesting. That's something. <laughs> it's very high tech hospital there. <laughs> I will say. So I'm in Boston, right? Boston's yeah. got some amazing hospitals, yeah. and I have. I go I go to Mass General, which is a is a leading hospital. So maybe I'm in the minority in terms of what my experience has been. But I promise you, someday that will be at your hospital. I mean, that's happening. It is coming. Yeah, I can figure it. That makes sense. I want to shift gears one last time and talk about AppQs and how it fits into the whole product-led growth ecosystem. I know, you know, AppQs is a big on the flywheel and there's really, really like they become a champion for product-led growth. How does it, that too fit into the whole system? Yeah, I mean, so, so I think it's important to say we are champions of product-led growth because product-led companies are just amazing fits for mm. our solution. What we help you do is basically make your product experience more self-service, uh, optimize the, the experiences that your users have to achieve business results, you know, whether it's onboarding new users and getting them to the activation moment. You know, I just talked to our friends over at Privy the other day and, and they're using AppQs to... Oh, cool. So they're Actually, I'll, I'll save this one for, the, for how it fits into the ecosystem because it's pretty interesting. But there are so many ways you can use this, this product. But product-led is bigger than just the product experience. It's, uh, mm. it's about pricing strategies, go-to-market strategies, et cetera. 
Um, so we're a champion for it, but you know, we're not like a, a full stop solution for everything product-led. It's a larger concept. How it fits in is, you know, it, it allows you to, like I said, kind of optimize that in-product experience without having to write code. So, you know, the people who, you know, the people in, in marketing who know a lot about conversion, uh, getting people to the right experiences quickly, um, running tests, et cetera, you know, those folks can use their expertise to create a better experience. The CS folks who know customers inside and out, who know what makes customers successful, et cetera, they can now inject some of their expertise into the product experience. And you know, it's this democratization of that product experience, allowing all of these different functions who have unique perspectives on the customer experience and you know, value to add to the customer experience because that experience is so focused on the product now. Right. We're giving all of these different uh, folks with different expertise uh, the ability to improve that experience that the customer is having, even though it's so self-serve and so product-led mm. now. Now, how it fits into the ecosystem, I mean, the place that I'm really interested in or the, the area that I'm really interested in right now is the go-to-market side. So you know, you've got all these product-led businesses with sales teams that have sales-assisted models. You've got companies with trials. Now, as a marketer, I think the whole idea of dropping people you know, if my goal is to get people to start a trial or to or to register for a freemium product, and then the sales team's goal is to, you know, talk to those folks and close new bookings from them, like the product team, who owns that that trial experience, right? Is it, is it the marketing team trying to get better users to the sales team? Is it the product team? And so, you know, it's kind of all over the place now. But what I think is really interesting is now you can use all of this sales data all this marketing data to create more personalized experiences in the product. So Privy, for example, they have uh, app keys integrated with Salesforce and they're using all of this data that they have in Salesforce to tailor the experience inside the product. So mm. if you are a customer success managed user, they actually know who the customer success manager is, when was the last time that that person logged into the product, what tier of the product they're on, and then they use that information to customize the app queues content that they're showing. And they're trying to get folks on the line with CS people. Sales team uses it in the same way. Your product team is using it for onboarding. The product marketing team is using it to drive adoption of features for product launches. And it is having all of this go-to-market data come together and be infused into the product experience, I think is really interesting. And that's, that's what we're talking a lot about right now. That's a great example. Yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's, it's like a product-led organization where now they're supporting this different approach. To, like you talked about a go-to-market approach. Mm. I want to start wrapping up and love asking this one question. What would be your one or two piece of advice to companies about whether that's in growth marketers or marketers or product folks about product-led growth? All right. So I don't know if this is like the most important. I think it's, it's incredibly important uh, to me and top of mind to me which is as something I touched upon a few minutes ago. So let's assume for a minute that we're going to talk about companies who have trials or freemium products. Mm. You've got marketing. and Their job is to you know, drive demand, drive people into the product, increase registrations, etc. Then you've got sales. If you have a sales team, their job is to close new business. And then in the middle, uh, for a lot of companies, this is, this is a new part of the funnel. There's this product experience. It's part of the purchasing decision now, right? Don't let that experience go without clear goals and clear ownership. You know, I've seen this before at other companies, and for a while at AppQs, we debated you know, the ownership of this piece. But who owns that initial product experience? 
It's not mm. just about delivering core value. It's about getting people to see value very quickly and, and making sure that it's optimized to you know, drive the right behaviors, etc. Somebody needs to own that. It's got to be very clear and have clear goals for it because otherwise it becomes this really gray mm. area and, and can become this uh, kind of void that potential customers fall into. So I think you know, whether you're in... I think it's relevant to all the roles you mentioned, marketing, product, product marketing, growth. Just make sure that you're thinking about all of the stages that a prospect goes through, that a, that a customer goes through, and that there are clear owners and goals for each of those stages. That's good. No, that's really good. And just one final question, Speed Wrap sure. Up. Where can people find out more about you? Like, this is your call to action. Do you want them to add you on LinkedIn, Twitter, or you? Yeah. where can people find out about AppCuse as well? Yeah, uh, so AppCuse.com. A-P-P-C-U-E-S.com. We have a trial. We don't require a credit card or anything. So if you just want to get in and, and use it, go for it. Uh, for me, I'm really only active on LinkedIn in terms of social media, but I'm fairly active there. So feel free to find me there. Eric Keating, I work at AppCuse. should be able to find me with that info. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Eric. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Rami. Pleasure. <laughs> 